0: Light around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. skillets good and hot watch it steam and crack and pop cornbread bacon in that stove bring it to Tennessee farm table pick them maters good and rap drop black and candy stripes look at them loading down those vines bring it to Tennessee farm table Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table.
1: Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that mountain south Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Today, we are setting the table with lye soap, hydrangeas, posh squash casserole, and elderberries. We visit today with Rachel Davis of J&R Farms. She makes her own lye soap. We also visit with Josh Lowens and hear about elderberries and the syrup that he is involved in the making of. Fred Sauzman shares a memory and recipe for posh squash casserole, and have a bunch of good growing and care tips for those beautiful blue and pink hydrangeas that sure make a home place happy. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your good company. Our first guest is Rachel Davis of J&R Farms. This family of six are homesteaders. They raise their own hogs, chickens, goats, lots of their own food. And today we're going to hear from Rachel about her lye soap making. And I can attest that this is very gentle soap. This young family can do just about anything. So here's Rachel talking about her ways and her lye soap making.
2: I have cast iron. I love cooking with cast iron. I love cooking on a fire with my cast iron. I love making soap. Um, And this year I rendered our lard from our hog to make our own lye soap but unfortunately i didn't make the lye myself this year that's on the list of things to do (laughs) hopefully you know dripping the lye from the ashes Mm -hmm. we have plenty of ashes but we just didn't hardly get around to dripping the lye but i will make our own soap our own Mm -hmm. lye soap um and i can make it plain or i've been making it with lavender or peppermint too and nice there's so many soap recipes to experiment with but so I I'll, I'll love to do that, and I have my great-grandmother's recipe for lye soap um, that she wrote out in her own hand uh, years ago. Um, my aunt gave it to me for a present for Christmas when I was just a little girl, so I have it framed up here. And, uh, That's a wonderful gift. Yes, yes, and um, her lye soap recipe and apple butter recipe, and so I have that framed in my kitchen to, her own rotten, so that's so wonderful. Yeah, and we just we love the cooking food that may not be so popular anymore, mm-hmm. like crackling bread.
1: <laughs> well, now you make your own hey. lie soap, I do. How do you make lyse? Well, um
2: I'll tell you how I first got into it. Uh, my great grandmother grindstaff, Minnie Grandstaff, um, wrote out her recipe in her own hand when she was she was older. Um, and so that was the first recipe I tried, and she didn't include the weights of the ingredients or anything. So here I am just throwing everything together. And calculations were a little off, and I about burned a hole through our table with the lye. So (laughs) I was like, well, you know what? I need to get a better recipe. So I researched (laughs) it for a while, and then I got brave enough to try it again. And I think I've got it down pretty good now in making my own soap. So, yeah, we definitely, we we, uh, slaughter our own hogs, so I use the lard from our hogs. To make the plain lye soap, there's there's a hundred different recipes for soap, but um, yeah, right now we're just using the lard and the lye, just plain old-fashioned lye soap. And it's I use it on my kids. It's people think it's harsh, but it's not. I it's so good for your skin. It, it's it's really great. It helps dry skin. I mean, I use it on my baby, and it's. Mm-hmm. That's great I love it
1: (laughs) it's very gentle it is yeah you know the Beverly Hillbillies and Granny and they joke about her life being so harsh yes and it's not and um, you gave me a couple bars a a couple months back and I love it It, and it doesn't leave any residue Um, and your skin feels so soft and I like that there's no perfumes dyes yes and, yes, And it's it's wonderful. You mentioned peppermint. Mm-hmm. I've made several different kinds with
2: different ingredients or different different oils. Just a few days ago was a mixture of coconut oil, olive oil, and lard. And then, of course, the lye um, and peppermint essential oil. It always smells so good. It's one of my favorites. Yes. Um, and then I, I've made some with lavender essential oil. And oh, it smells really good.
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table Podcast and Broadcast. Thanks for listening today. We've just heard from Rachel Davis of J&R Farms. It sits at the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in the eastern portion of the state of Tennessee. She was talking about that lye soap that she makes. Rachel has a website with a blog and on this blog she has placed a step-by-step tutorial and recipe for how to make lye soap using the cold process. I've placed a link directly to this on the podcast notes and also her Instagram link on my website, tennesseefarmtable.com. How about that? We can all just make our own soap if we want to. Up next... How about if we talk about hydrangeas? Blue and pink hydrangeas, they are such a quintessential southern flowering shrub. I wanted to share some tips with you that I've picked up over the years on how to keep them growing and looking their best. First off is knowing our growing zone and the first and last frost dates. According to the USDA in East Tennessee, we are in Zone 7A with 213 growing days from mid-April until the first frost in late October. And in Chattanooga, the zone is 7B with roughly last frost dates of April 15th and first frost dates of November the 15th. So being aware of the frost dates is really important and the best time of year for planting hydrangeas is in the spring after the last frost or in the fall before the first frost. And where to plant these? Most hydrangeas grow best in partial sun. They like the full sun of the morning and some afternoon shade to protect them from that midday sun. First time I planted hydrangeas at a new house, I didn't think about afternoon shade or sun and I planted them smack dab in the middle of the backyard where the poor things would just swelter and wither in the summer and the leaves would wilt. And I ended up having to water them a lot more than I really should have if I'd planted them in the right place. And when to prune? The general rule of thumb is if it flowers before June, prune right after flowering. These flowering shrubs set their flowers on old growth that they make the previous year, so the time to prune flowering hydrangeas is immediately after the flowering has finished, and this will give time for the plant to develop new growth before the cold winter arrives. Watering. Most hydrangeas live in rich, porous, moist soil. And after planting, be sure that they get plenty of water in the first year or two, especially during droughts and hot months. A good way to plant them this fall is to dig a hole at least three times the size of your plant. And when you've placed the plant in the hole along with half your dirt, water this really well and then add the rest of your dirt. And that gets that water down to the roots and it's a lot better than top watering for that initial watering. In the late fall, cover the base of the plant with bark, mulch, leaves, compost, or straw or pine needles to help protect them from the elements over the winter. You want to avoid maple leaves because they mat up and stick together and they don't allow for much air exchange. Soil acidity and hydrangea color. The best way to get good results is to have your soil tested by your local extension office to determine the pH of your soil. Blue hydrangeas thrive in more acidic soils, while pink, white, and red hydrangeas are best suited for alkaline soils. Check with your nursery for directions to amend your soil with aluminum sulfate for more acidic soil or for limestone to make it more alkaline after having it tested according to your hydrangea colors. It takes several weeks to months to alter the color of your blue or pink or red hydrangeas, and white hydrangeas stay the same color, and that color will not change. And after you've freshly planted your hydrangeas, let them sit there and establish themselves for two years before you attempt to alter the colors. For blue hydrangeas. A friend of mine once told me to throw a couple of handfuls of epsom salts at the base of the blue hydrangeas in the spring to make them bluer, and evidently this is good for plants in that it helps them because it gives them magnesium and sulfate, but for a more measurable approach and to increase the soil's acidity for a deeper blue flower, apply a solution of diluted aluminum sulfate three to four times a year after the plant starts growing in the spring carefully follow those package directions or ask your nursery for help with the proper proportions so you don't overdo it. To encourage pink flowering blooms, you want to increase the alkalinity of the soil. In the spring or fall, spread ground limestone at the base of the plant and water this in real well. And again, consult your nursery for the proper ratio of limestone to the surface area of your hydrangeas, because excessive alkalinity to your soil will cause your leaves to yellow. It's much easier to change blues to pink than to change pinks to blue and some cultivars are easier to alter the colors of than others. A late friend of mine, Ruth Smith, who lived in Savannah, Georgia, used to throw her used coffee grounds at the base of her blue hydrangeas outside her kitchen screen door every single morning for nearly 50 years. That was the most beautiful blue hydrangea bush you've ever seen. Now, there is a debate on whether or not used coffee grounds alter the pH of soil, but I like to think that her old-fashioned aluminum percolator and that daily dose of used coffee grounds, along with a healthy dose of love, made that hydrangea bush so pretty.
3: This is Alan Benton, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table.
1: Let's hear from our friend Fred Saussman from Johnson City about that yellow squash casserole.
3: As yellow crook-necked squash comes in this time of year, I always think of Donna Netherland. Donna taught first grade for 46 years in Elizabethton, Tennessee. She gave a commencement address at East Tennessee State University when she was 93 and another one when she was 99, just a few weeks shy of her 100th birthday. At ETSU, we called Donna our poster lady for lifelong learning. She read about 50 books a year, played the piano for Sunday school at Elizabethton's First Presbyterian Church, and was famous in Carter County for her homemade orange marmalade. Donna touched a lot of lives before her death in 2006 at the age of 101. In the middle of the summer, Students she had taught over the course of that long career would bring her garden vegetables, sometimes knocking on the door for a visit, other times just leaving bags of produce anonymously on her front porch. This is one of Donna's favorite recipes. She called it posh squash. You slice about two pounds of yellow summer squash and cook it in boiling water until it's tender— drain it well and mix it with one cup of mayonnaise three-fourths cup of grated parmesan cheese a small onion chopped two beaten eggs a half teaspoon of salt and a quarter teaspoon of black pepper put that mixture into a casserole dish then mix half a cup of cracker crumbs with about a tablespoon of melted butter scatter that on top of the posh squash and bake it at 350 degrees for about 30 minutes. And enjoy posh squash in memory of a great first grade teacher. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Sausman.
1: Next up on the program is a visit with Josh Lowens and he's gonna shed some light on elderberries. Josh Lowens farms at Salubrious Farms in Wallen and Knott'sville they grow quite a few things on this farm, and one of the activities is that they make elderberry syrup. Elderberry syrup, everybody wants and all, and it's antiviral, but for those of us that don't really know, what does it do? What, what's, the, what's the whole thing about elderberry syrup?
4: So, elderberry syrup has been around for a long, long time. There's traces of elderberry, not even, you know, with our Native Americans here, but also all the way to ancient Egypt. Um, So it's something that um, I believe black elderberry is the European... Variation Sambucus, the family name for the Mm. plant. But elderberry in general has always been used to treat colds. It's just, that's just kind of what it's known for. And it does have that immune boosting um, properties to it, but it's also really good for inflammation. It's called a refrigerant too, that, you know, it can make you sweat a little bit extra if you're sick. But, and so what we do that's different with our elderberry syrup is we don't put any additives in it. Like a lot of times you'll see an elderberry syrup, but it's flavored with cinnamon and clove and lots of other things. Well, in kind of my opinion, that's more of a tonic than a syrup. So we keep our elderberry, elderberry syrup super pure. I mean, it's, it's honey, elderberries, and filtered water, and that's it, and time. Mm. And we do everything in super small, you know, almost a nano batch. We make about 10 bottles at a time per batch. And we keep everything small like that so we can ensure our quality and we can ma- ensure our, our sugar contents at a, a, a level to where it'll stay shelf stable so it doesn't have to be refrigerated. Yes. And kind of just go from there. But we keep it as pure as we can so that all the vitamins are, and nutrients are, are still there. And you kind of, you don't have to, it doesn't have to have a cinnamon stick or a clove to still be super tasty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, our elderberries, we grow all of our elderberries instead of just buying a bunch of dried elderberries and making the same thing. So that's been my newest project lately is planting a newer elderberry patch on some new property um, off of Where's Valley Road.
1: Because I saw that you planted 150 elderberry bushes or something. 100
4: more. I did with uh, Mike and Tracy Janke, are my two kind of, we're the, well, I saw, say we're the holy trinity of our the property that we manage together and i mean we were out there today putting our soil amendments in and making sure they're going to be ready to rock and roll so hopefully we'll have a you know a more of a harvest for this fall um than we have previously we we sell out of our elderberry syrup so fast because mm-hmm. um, not only is it used for lots of medicinal ways and especially it being antiviral with everything going on yes. now it's a it's just a great supplement to have, and it's full of antioxidants and lots of vitamins.
1: So if you had to describe the taste of elderberry that y'all do, like the elderberry syrup, what's the taste like?
4: I would say an elderberry um, has more of an earthier taste than a typical blueberry or blackberry. Elderberry's not a berry that you can eat raw like that, um, there's uh, some cyanide present in a raw elderberry that can give you some upset stomach. So the cooking process is absolutely needed. Um, there are people that swear Shannon Walker is one of them that you can eat elderberries right off and it doesn't bother him at all, but he is about as local as it gets, and I would say that he is just adapted to that, that they, they having the ability to do that. So.
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table Podcast and Broadcast. We've just heard from Josh Lowens, man of the earth, maker of wooden spoons, former professional axe thrower, mushroom hunter, forager, daddy, husband, and farmer with Salubrious Farms in Walland and Knoxville, Tennessee.